tonight or today, and uh, he's from Valparaiso. So look, come on up. Hey, thanks. That was simple. <laughs> How much time do I have? William speaks at ten. Yes. Okay. So you get, so get nine fifty-nine. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Matt. I'm an alcoholic. <coughs> and um, thanks for asking me to be here with you, and thanks for all the work of the committee and everybody that's volunteered. It's, uh, it was a real pleasure to hear Jack last night speak. Um, uh, it's just a really nice gathering to be with uh, the recovering family. And um, so I'm here to tell you a little bit about, uh, about what happened to me. And um, uh, I, I've been nervous about this, and my wife uh, suggested that I imagine that everybody out in the audience was naked, and um, that's not helping. So, <laughs> so uh, I'll have to share that with her, but uh, she's trying to be helpful. Um, you know, like, uh, like so many of us, uh, I have a... <coughs> I, something's different about me, you know. I mean, I'm just not quite wired up the same way other people are, and um, and I discovered early on I had um, a lot of restlessness, irritability, and discontentment in my <laughs> before I picked up a drink. I mean, restlessness, irritability were really um, common, you know, daily. That's I lived in restlessness, and um, so and I and I came. Uh, from a family where alcohol was a part of the deal and um, it was accepted and enjoyed and and enjoyed again and enjoyed some more. <laughs> um, and I, um, I didn't understand what that was all about until I took a drink. Um, and it flipped a switch in me um, and I started to really understand what all the enjoyment was about and why it was pursued and why it was repeated and repeated and uh, because I got this idea in my mind that you know this works so well I don't the first few experiences drinking that I should really pursue this Um, I mean I should this should really be a focus (laughs) and um, so that's what I did Um, and it seemed to uh, allow me to get through um, a lot of difficult times Uh, I mean I took my first drink at um, I guess I was probably in the neighborhood of 13, 12, 13 years old um, when I started drinking with my friends. And um, I, I just, gosh, I loved, I just loved it. And I would get so upset sometimes because I would pass out and then I'd wake up and the party was over. And I'd say, where's everybody? I'm, you know, the party. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's a horrible experience. Um, I, um, all by myself. Um, so what happened to me was... Uh, I, um, life got more difficult, and my only solution to the living problem was more drinking. Um, I also used a lot of other chemicals. Um, I was kind of mad. I, I really believe that uh, the family I came from was really the origin of my problems. I really, uh, that was a very strong focus for me, and I really sort of like was entrenched in the fact that. Uh, if they would change, um, then all you know, all the wonderful things that I saw everybody else around me enjoying, uh, I would be able to participate in. And um, so I really lived um, 
and a crazy sort of like um, really in this crazy idea that um, for so long and, and given everybody else the power over me um, letting their behavior determine who I was and who I wasn't um, gosh it was just insane when you think about it I mean uh, uh, so what that did was that just you know that just made sobriety unbearable so I wanted to drink some more, <laughs> and I wanted to do whatever I could to escape this. And uh, when I look back now, a lot of my chemical use was really, um, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. <laughs> I really, you know, I didn't, I just, you know, I, I knew alcoholics. I lived with them. I didn't like them. I wasn't going to be one. I was going to be different. And um, what I've discovered... Uh, through you people and the tools that you've given me is that uh, I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Garden variety. (laughs) Um, That the other chemicals, just because I participated in using them, um, really doesn't mean I'm not alcoholic. Um, Doesn't have anything to do with um, my alcoholism. So um, I'll tell you a a few stories if I can. because I, I kind of come up here, you know, I gave three leads already in the last 24 hours, you know, and so I'm a little worn out. <laughs> um, you know, I was telling Jack if I, uh, you know, if I had to rely on my mind, I'd have a teleprompter, we'd have it all mapped out, you know, we'd be taking ratings. Um, pretty crazy stuff. But uh, here I have to rely on this this power, this higher power to kind of fill me with the what I need to be saying here, because I, I want to say what I need to say for whoever I'm supposed to say it. And, uh, you know, it's really funny, too. I, there's a little head trip that goes along with something like this for me where I think that some, somehow because people are looking at me that um, that this is about me. And then I remember what brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. I mean, it wasn't because, uh, I mean, it wasn't like a winning streak. It wasn't because life was working well. Um, you know, alcoholism, um, albeit in recovery, is a gift in, this, in sobriety with this higher power, with these tools. But without that, uh, it's a death sentence, um, it, for sure, um, to be guaranteed. Um, so um, how did I get to Alcoholics Anonymous? Um, I've got lots of, you know, a lot of little stories that kind of, I don't know, brought me here. And um, a couple a couple of really key things that came recently when we were at the jail, we're reading Bill's story, and Bill's talking about Ebby coming to see him, and he's like wide-eyed, he's got religion, and, you know, Bill's like, let him rant, my gin will last longer, you know. And um, Well, I I don't know why, but I, it struck me, you know, I that's, that's what happened to me. I, a couple of people... Very key people in my formative development and in my partying um, got sober. You guys got a hold of them. They did what you said they should do, and then they talked to me. And um, and I wanted nothing to do with them. <laughs> I mean, one of them, one one gal um, who we were lifelong friends, uh, Lake from the lake. Uh, 
I'm in a tent in the woods with my buddies, and uh, we're drinking and being crazy, and I can hear her calling my name. You know, she's like pursuing me. It was a kind of a form of 12-step work that I didn't know you guys approved of, but uh, I, <laughs> you know, scared the scared the heck out of me. I didn't want to. I really didn't want to talk to her. Nor did I want to hear what she had to say. In fact, I think I characterized her approach as something about self-righteous, yada, yada, you know, other expletives that were sort of a common linguistic, you know, some stuff I said all the time. And um, now the other guy, now this guy, he got sober and his parents threw him in a treatment center. And when he got out of the treatment center, just to tell you a little bit about where I was at that time, is I was the guy trying to pour beer down his throat, blow pot smoke in his face, tell him he was a, you know, a quitter. (laughs) 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 He should really, you know, he should should really get with the program and, you know, (laughs) this is the program. So that's how wonderful I was as a friend. And um, thankfully, um, he didn't disown me. Um, and he did get sober through Alcoholics Anonymous, and he had been sober about a year. When um, I was at a, a, a gathering in Bloomington, where he lived, and there was a guy—he's a year sober—and there's a guy on the porch with a marijuana leaf on his T-shirt, and S- Steve just didn't like this guy, and he didn't like it. He had this marijuana shirt on, and and somehow it escalated, and he decks the guy, and and we're running around the neighborhood trying to avoid the police. I mean, I can see the lights on the garage and we're ducking in the wood. And I'm, tell me how you're staying sober. I mean, that's what I'm saying to him. I mean, it's still looking attractive. <laughs> you know, it's looking good. I mean, you know, hey, he, um, it's, it's, he, it was working better than where I felt I, I was coming from. I mean, I just was in, I was suicidal. I, um, I hated who I was. I hated the things I was doing. Um, I couldn't drink enough, you know. It was like I was trying to blot it out, but I just, it was like, I kind of got to the point where I just had to black out. That was really the only reprieve I would get from this thing between my ears that was just driving me nuts. And it was like, it really, gosh, it made me mad because it really worked so well for so long. I mean, it was really... Uh, dependable, um, magic, wonderful, and um, and then it just kind of turned on me, and then when I, when I'm intoxicated or when I think I've got the amount in me, the magic, whatever, and the my guilt is magnified, my shame is magnified, my depression is magnified, so I was really in a pickle, man. I mean, I. So living wasn't, I didn't want to live sober. I didn't know how to live sober. Drinking was horrible. But every once in a while it would work, you know. And I just always would wind up with a drink in my hand, even if I came to meetings and promised not to. It just seemed like, it just, you know, I don't know. I I was with a married woman in a bar with a fake ID and a Stolies in my hand. I don't know how it happened. And um, so... Needless to say, um, I was powerless over alcohol, and clearly my life was unmanageable. If getting arrested um, looks like a better way, <laughs> you know, if decking a guy looks attractive, 
<laughs> then clearly, um, but I, you know, Steve was really kind to me. Steve did have that was a bad night, but he did have some good good nights and some good days. And uh, you know, he was living differently. He was living differently, and he did. He he was very gosh, he was very compassionate, very kind to me. Really, just gently kind of just kind of slipped that message out there. You know, are, are you? You think you've had enough? You think are you are you tired? You know? Oh gosh, was I? But how terrified! I couldn't imagine a life without this stuff. I mean, it, I was so attached to it. it. There was nothing else. What else was there? So, fortunately, um, that brought me into these rooms. You know, it got me into okay. I'll go listen to a guy give a lead. Go listen to a guy give a lead. I identified. Yeah, I knew what the guy was talking. I mean, you know, like it just it just seemed like God used whatever was at hand and all of these little things sort of added up to put me on a, a path to recovery. And uh for that I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful to the men and women that get up and share their stories because I think I was telling uh, Mark this before the meeting, you know, I think my sponsor may have said things to me like thousands of times and it was a, a tape or a lead of someone that I didn't know that allowed me to hear something because it seemed like I was kind of doing this with my sponsor. You know, I kind of was, uh, I didn't want, I, I wanted his help, but, uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to, I don't know. I always fought that, fought that surrender a little bit and, uh, well, a lot. In fact, uh, I need to tell you, I got a home group. Uh, it's the Nottingham Acquaintance Group in Valparaiso, Indiana, and we meet at 7 p.m. on Fridays at the Methodist Church. Um, if you're ever in the area, we'd, we'd love to see you. Um, I got a sponsor, and I got a sobriety date, which is uh, September 14th, 1990. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's you know, it's uh, it's because of it's because of you people that I that I. Uh, that I got that, so it's not for my, uh, it's not for my wisdom and glory. In fact, I'm going to play the fool here and, and share some stuff because um, I, I I did have this. I've had these remarkable experiences in Alcoholics Anonymous, and the the first one that I really had was when I was invited to be a part of a workshop. And that workshop, uh, the idea of it was is that the men would get together and and read from this book and follow the instructions in the book and just do what it says to the best of our ability, and we would do that together. And have this experience, and uh, it was Homer and Bill's story, and I had been sober around 30 days, and we're in. I'm in this first workshop I've ever been in, and a couple of key things happened. One was is that I realized a couple. It had been a couple of weeks, and since I had started praying, just because someone told me I should, my sponsor, and uh, I didn't really. I'm like, well, okay, I'll give it a try. I mean, what do I have to lose? <laughs> I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like. Um, so I, you know, I gave the prayers a try, and I'm going to this workshop, and I'm hearing these guys share their experience and relate to stuff out of the book. And uh, I realized it had been a couple of weeks since I even thought of taking a drink. I, I didn't do that. I mean, I'm a guy who thinks about drinking all the time. All the time. Because if I can't drink, at least if I know when I can drink, that'll give me a little peace. I can get through if I know I can coast to Friday or whatever it is. And I didn't think, and I didn't expect that, you know. I didn't expect the obsession for 
you know, the obsession of the mind with alcohol and that craving to be removed. Um, but it was. And then the next best thing that happened to me in that workshop was that there was another guy in that workshop that uh, I've come to dearly love and, and, and be a friend with in the journey here. And, uh, but he wasn't ready. We were talking about first step stuff, and there was a guy that was using a very confrontational approach <laughs> to, for, to first step. And um, this guy just wasn't ready. And he spun out and had to go to Cleveland for a couple of years. And, but I saw them have this fight, and, and, um, and this guy said everything that I felt. All my self-will and sobriety, you know, all my wanting to, like, it's like I was surrendered, but there was still this, somewhere inside of me, there was just this part that, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, and um, watching this guy, and that's what the workshop did for me, you know, is watching this guy fight brought meaning and life to the first step in a way that if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have gotten it. Um, and, it, and it helped me stay sober another day and to get on to the next uh, set of experiences in the steps. And uh, I'm not somebody, I, I guess, uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, our backgrounds and, um, and a lot of, for a long time in sobriety, I would have told you uh, a lot about my family history. I would have felt like that was somehow, you know, a key thing in my story. And um, I'm kind of, I got a different take on it today. I mean, I kind of have the sense that if you pop me out on an island somewhere and I had no family and no, I couldn't talk about family, and you put, gave me a drink, it's not my family that would crave alcohol, it's me. And I, I this is a phenomenal thing that my alcoholism does in my thinking and that my ego does. It, to shield me from really changing and having an, an experience, I'll read this book and I'll think, boy, you know, this would really be great for you. I can think of, like, a lot of people that would really benefit from this great program of ours, you know? And, boy, what a bunch of hooey that is. Um, but that's what, that's kind of how it rolls. That's kind of, that's how I roll, um, is that... Uh, and I, I kind of recognize that, you know, and, I, and today it kind of makes me laugh. I think, oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing. You know, okay, what about your alcoholism? <laughs> one of the blessings, one of the great, awesome benefits of doing service work, going to a jail, going to a hospital, trying to be on the front lines of this thing, one of the great benefits is, is I get to see the theater of my mind played out before me and other people's alcoholism. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The endless, the stories and the, the humor and the heartbreak and the joy. And one of the things that uh, has helped me the most lately to see um, places where I still doubt, still have agnosticism, places where I still don't think in my life that the power of this higher power can help me. Um, I've done a lot. I have not, I gotta tell you, I'm not any better at managing my life, uh, long time sober, working steps, than I was when I first came in here. I think if I've gotten better at anything, it's saying uncle. You know, I don't want, <laughs> not my way, please, please, your way. I got, I've gotten my way. 
I mean, I've gotten my way so many times in sobriety, and it's not been good for me. It's not helped me. It's not brought me closer to God. It's not brought me closer to you. It, t- it, always, it seems like there's this aspect to my self-will that wants to sort of elevate and be above it all. And that's not, <laughs> that's not the message that I have come to know and love in Alcoholics Anonymous. The message here is that I need to get my hands dirty, and then I need to walk with people, and um, I need to share everything that's been given to me um, unequivocally. And the, fact, the truth is, is that if I, if I could retire at 48, oh, Jack, oh, that was... <laughs> Um, and spend all my time, spend all my time doing this work, doing this work, it wouldn't ever pay back. There is no, I mean, this is immeasurable, you know, the gift of sobriety. I often think that what I really need is a pot of money. I need a pot of gold. I would love to have a pot of gold. Oh, what I could do. Gosh, it's a bunch of crap. I, I, I think it's a bunch of crap. It's, um, it would probably kill me, a pot of gold. Probably would. I get, you know, there's something about this thing with faith that I'm coming to understand that has been so hard for me to understand is that I get exactly what I need exactly when I need it. Not a moment before. And I, But I'm busy. I want stuff now. I don't want to, you know... And, but that seems to be the reliance. And that seems to be the difference between living in my world and living in God's world. And what's funny is, is that when I'm willing to trust that power and to move in that direction, that's all that's required is for me to move in that direction, for me to work these steps to answer the questions that are laid out before me. That's all these are. I mean, that's all the steps are. Questions. I'm going to ask you some questions, Matt. <laughs> I mean, you know, Really? All I gotta do is fill in the answers. I mean it's not rocket science. Although, gosh, what I I sure make it hard. You know, I got well, CSI is on at eight. I don't know about inventory tonight, you know. I mean <laughs> spiritual life, well, I got other plans for a while. <sighs> um this program has taught me that there are other communities that uh have similar similar objectives and that it encourages us um, to participate in if we so choose. And uh, I've taken some direction from a spiritual advisor I meet every with once a month, and that's been a real gift and blessing. One of the things she gave me as a litmus test to conduct in my life is, she says, is it life-giving and life-sustaining? It's another inventory question. Whatever it is, is it life-giving and life-sustaining? The relationship you're in, the job that you're working, um, the way I'm spending money, the way I'm exercising my character defects, you know? And um, boy, has that rooted out a lot of crap because there's a lot of stuff that I will, I'll engage in that's not life-giving and life-sustaining. It's not part of the solution, you know? And uh, today, I, I really, as much as I can be, I want to be part of the solution. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, when I first looked at this idea of a higher power, I, I was really, it wasn't like I came to it and was like, oh boy, you know, let's turn our will and our life over. I had a lot of misgivings, a lot of prejudice, a lot of early formative experience that would tell me that, um, 
or at least the way I imagined it, is that God wasn't good. <laughs> and he probably wasn't going to like me. And um, so I was really reluctant about the whole higher power stuff. But then I saw the way you people acted and the way you people treated each other and the way that you talked and the way that you led your lives. And that's what kind of led me in that direction. That's what led me in that direction. I saw people come in and their lives changed as a result of working the steps. I mean, just totally changed. Like, unemployed, employable, you know? Um, obsessed with self, helping people. Uh, hostile, hospitable. I mean, it's just, like, unbelievable. And it was, like, not, like, this huge, long duration of time. It was just people that were ready and willing and just followed the directions the best they could, and they had this experience, and all of a sudden they became useful and effective, and gosh, every time I see that, does it strengthen my resolve and that, that, that there's something here? There's something remarkable here. Um, you know, the book talks about the age of miracles is upon us, and I, you bet it is. I mean, for anybody that's willing to follow those instructions, and I'm, gosh, I'll tell you, um, I've, you know, done it very poorly a lot. You know, like the kind of the half inventory, the half amend, the um, the prayer on the run, you know, the thank you, God, you know. So my, my, I love the way uh, it's like my ego starts praying, you know, like I, I, you know, like, oh, I know it's such a wonderful program and you've helped me so much and. I'll see you later, <laughs> you know, and I'm, boom, you know. <laughs> I got other things I got to do. I got I to go manage my life, you know. I don't think uh, you can help me with, with the whole relationship with women stuff. I don't think, you th I don't think that's going to, I don't think you're going to help me with that. I don't think you're going to be able to really help me with money, you know. I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to help me with money? Well... When you're ready, I'll help you. So what do I do? Well, I ran my... What I did was I started a big bonfire. And all the money I made, I would just throw in the fire. And I thought the objective of making money is, is well, we just have to keep the fire going. I mean, I just was pitiful. I mean, I, I just was pitiful. Jack said it so well when he talked about, you know, allowing people to help me. You know, there are so many people qualified, much better than I, that... Uh, are helping me now. And gosh, it's like, you know, my buddy said it was like the, the most all, uh, awesome thing. I, you know, I'm talking to my buddy Don and I'm like, you know, I'm having all these problems with money and I don't know what to do. And he says, well, why don't you get yourself a manager? Okay. I mean, I find a lot of the really wise stuff is like that simple. Like, how many resentments have I had, imagined or real, that are basically caused by my inability to tell the truth to someone? Because I'm frightened. I mean, it's simple, like communication 101, fear, I mean, Jack talked about it so much, and it's so, last night, and it's so true in my life. When, um, when I'm living out of fear, I can't see God's world. There is no God's world. 
there's the fear. And uh, I almost start worshiping the fear because that's all I think about is the fear. More fear. And then what do I do? Well, I gotta, I gotta fix this. I gotta do some stuff different. And so I'm all into self-reliance, which is horrible. I mean, relying on myself. I mean, I've had the experience of failure over and over again in doing that. And um, and then inevitably what follows for me is that I, I become dishonest. I mean, if I'm living out of fear, dishonesty just trails. I mean, it's like I can't... And and then it, it affects my whole life. Like, I, I like to think that I could kind of compartmentalize uh, some of this stuff and that, you know, I can make these deals with God. But the truth is, is that it's all connected. And um, that's just another game for Matt, Matt the manager, who um, we really need to have like a funeral service for today sometime, Matt the manager, because um, if, if <laughs> he's, he's, he's not a good manager. Uh, I mean, if I worked up a program uh, for you, and, you know, if Matt the manager worked up a program for you, you, you wouldn't buy it. You know, I couldn't sell that program. Um, it's like relationship Tetris. So um, it's just, com- you know, and, and I got to tell you, too, um, one of the things that uh, I've discovered about myself, let's see, I've got a few more minutes here, is that, um, gosh, one of the things that I um, that just left I just I discovered and then it left and now I'm trying to get it back. Um, I um, well, let's talk about management a little bit. I um, I didn't when I got married the first time in sobriety. Um, uh, I married a, a, a woman with two older daughters. And um, our two daughters, and they were, and she, my my wife was older than I was, and and it was, um, you know, I would ask my sponsor about tying my shoes, but when it came to changing the lives of myself, <coughs> those two girls, my family, uh, my ex-wife, I, it didn't occur to me to talk to him. I mean, it didn't occur to me. It wasn't like even on the radar. I mean, is that bizarre? I mean, I would have told you at that time that I was sponsored. I was, I was in, I was locked in, <laughs> doing the deal, locked in. But when it came to this huge life-changing decision that had all these consequences, some positive, some maybe not positive. I don't know. I did, I didn't know. I just thought it was all good, and I'll just ask her to marry me and. And we get married, and we had three holy men at the ceremony. I mean, it was like, how you know, how could we really get God on our side? And um, oh man, and it was just like I got, I had a tiger by the tail, you know. And I'm trying to, I'm I, I I'm not aware of the fact that how much I'm trying to manage the marriage, how much uh, how immature I am with dealing with money and life problems and sobriety. I just. Um, and so I was in a lot of pain. And my sponsor was very um, helpful. He'd say, well, take notes. This is going to be very useful material for you, you know. And if you do this and you really stay in it and become aware, 
perhaps you won't have to go through it again. Perhaps you won't have, it'll either get better or it won't. It's either going to be life-giving or life-sustaining or it's not. So I had written lots of inventories and tried to make amends and gosh, you know, and it just seemed like because I was coming out of fear, because I was trying to manage my life, I just would make more promises. Promises I didn't have the ability to keep. Like, I'll save us from this financial turmoil. I, you know, I had my own business at the time and I had the money bonfire going. You know, it was, I wasn't, like, I didn't have a grasp on how to deal with just those basic life issues. And I didn't have the wisdom to know that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know to ask. I just sort of flailed. I just, <laughs> just sort of, it was like a fish out of water, you know? And, um, and I had moments of success where I was greeted with opportunity and applause and approval, and they were really great. But I could never sustain them because at that time, um, you know, in that part of my life, it was God wasn't part of the deal. So I'm I've been writing inventories about this, and I'm trying to get I'm I'm on. It's the marriage is kind of over, uh, and it's at, it's post first marriage sobriety, and I just got busy uh, working with others and trying to look at this stuff in the context of the steps, and somebody suggested to me, why don't you You've written lots of inventories, and you know obviously how to work the steps. And but, could, would you consider how you were out of unity in that relationship? Would you consider that? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, why don't you take a, a look at traditions three through twelve, and just look at that in relationship to the marriage? You know, I mean, if it's worked helping Alcoholics Anonymous stay together, perhaps. It could help you. Maybe it could inform you differently about how you behave in relationship. So I just did a one-page How Am I Out of Unity inventory, and I was blown away. Um, the third tradition was about, you know, desire to stop drinking, desire to be in the marriage. My desire was all over the place. I don't know if it was about being in the marriage or not. It was all over the place. Uh, being autonomous. Uh, I was not and could not be autonomous with money and as an adult in a parental role in that relationship. I, I had no autonomy. Um, that I had a primary purpose um, <laughs> uh, to carry the message of a loving higher power into that relationship. But the truth was is that I wanted that relationship to serve my own ends, my own ambition financially. And at the time, I was pursuing a career as a sculptor. I had a big studio. I had a lot of overhead. <laughs> and I had, I had commissions, but they were, you know, there were some real thin times. And so um, I thought that, uh, that it was my wife's job to support my vision and my <coughs> art, whatever that sacrifice meant for her. Um, you know, um, <laughs> score, keeping score was a way of life for me at that time. Keeping score was a way of life. I mean, uh, there was, uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, that saying, all for one and one for all. <laughs> for me, it was uh, all for me. All for me. And now, now I would have, I played the white knight. I had 
two stepdaughters. I, I did love them. I spent a lot of time with them. We had uh, awesome experiences together. But when you scrape all that away and look at in the core of me, what am I thinking? Where am I coming from? What are my motives? And I would have told you at the beginning of that relationship that, that, that those motives were distant. I think this is kind of where in thinking terms we talk about lack of proportion. And it's amazing to me, like I always thought about that in terms of how I can make things big. Well, certainly I can make things big, but I also have a, a very good gift at making big things small and acting like they're not very important when they are, when they're crucial. I mean, just like not asking my sponsor, hey, what do you think about me marrying this woman that's divorced and has two kids, you know? Can we talk about that? <coughs> In my mind, I'm saying, it's my life. It's my life. I'm going to do it my way. And, you know, um, it's like the higher power saying, well, hats off to you. Good luck with that. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the, um, the biggest prayer uh, I have today is not my way, please. I mean, please, tearfully, in sorrow, on my knees. No, not my way. You know, not my way. Show me the way, please. Because it's much better. This deal is much better. I mean, it's amazing. It's just a much better deal than my way. My way is killing me. And um, so I, I need to be, I, I'm saying that, but I need to be reminded of it regularly. I get off into the weeds of my own thinking pretty quickly. I get pretty enamored with my own ideas. And uh, I don't have a good track record. <laughs> so thank you so much. Uh, for listening to all this stuff. I hope it was helpful to somebody. Uh, and if anything, you had a good laugh. But uh, I love you all, and I'm just really grateful to be with you. So thanks a lot. Oh. Will you talk